I'm not going to not say I jumped on someone's Zoom that's for tomorrow. Um, and I was in the wrong Zoom room. I'm not going to talk about that. That's not important. I know nothing about that. So <laughs> with, with that being said, this is episode seven of An Untold Narrative. And uh, that narrative will never be told again. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still in City Hall? Oh, yeah, bro. I live here. Oh, okay, I, uh, cool. I got a few more notes to do. So I was like, ah, this is home. I might as well. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Um, I, I don't, I can't give you a proper introduction. Why don't you tell people who we have here? What's going on? Uh, my name is Che Anderson. Uh, I am uh, the coolest city employee you know. Uh, yeah. Work for city government. I also work on public art projects. And I started this really cool project with some of my friends called Food and Convo that is equal parts art blog, food blog, and people that are doers of cool shit. Shout to Amy and Claude. That's right. Um, when he says that he works for the government, that is in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, where we live. Um, he is also the people's mayor here. Uh, he hopefully will become the youngest mayor in the city's history, maybe one day. That'd be dope. That'd be, I would love it. I would love to be the mayor before I turn 40 years old. That'd be cool. Huh? Goals. Let's yeah. go get it. Um, so we actually have a, a super unique story of, of how and why we met. Uh, I remember uh, a few years ago, um, a buddy of mine, I like posted a photo of uh, Worcester on Instagram or Instagram stories and my buddy, Pat Skerritt, shout out Pat from Wilkin, Connecticut. We oh, went to high school together. I haven't spoken to one another in years reached out was like yo my buddy Che work works or lives in Worcester you should you guys would vibe let's get together so slid into those dms we met up uh, <laughs> at the coffee shop and yes, uh, the rest is history and we've uh, gone to know each other pretty much through the internet but met in person and Che's the reason for those that don't know that uh, why part prop definitely influenced my love of the city uh, for sure um and then that's the best compliment i'm gonna get the the main reason why i'm part of worcester arts council today um and i'm a volunteer government official i guess that's what they call each other um so there we go so yeah che does a lot so i don't know anything about your history though i know nothing about it. <laughs> no i know all the crazy shit that you do today and we could talk about that but like where are you from yeah well how did you get into politics and government because like all i know of that subject matter is like in high school people would like go for like the governing body of like you know i want to be like the treasurer of the high school and shit like that yeah and that's and usually it ends there <laughs> and like people I, I, I want you to know I ran for office twice in high school and lost both times. So that is not a good start for me. <laughs> um, well, you weren't so, handsome back then? What, did you hit a growth spur after high school? No, bro. I, I thought I had it. I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm hair's cut. I'm, I'm smooth. <laughs> Nothing. No juice. No juice. Um, <laughs> so I'm from New York City, New York. Born and raised in Manhattan. Um, Upper West Side. Uh, shot the mom uh and so uh in high school i went to uh, a jesuit high school and uh like big catholic high school in new york transferred to another jesuit school 
and was like, what do I want to do for college? Wanted to go somewhere that was a good school, but also thought I could like hoop a little bit. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go to a school that's like D1. I could walk on and figure it out from there. Um, and that, that didn't happen. That's not, that's not what happened. Uh, so I, I came to Worcester to go to college. Uh, and it was an amazing experience, but I didn't know Worcester at all. You know, like I, I knew nothing about the city. We didn't really get off campus that much. And then it came time to, to graduate and I was going to be a lawyer. I was pre-law. And then senior year, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a lawyer. What am I going to do? And it was interesting because my mom, like you know, was like a single. Yeah, yeah. Senior oh, yeah, yeah. Year, I was, you were like, oh. you're going to be a lawyer and you're like, I don't, I don't want to be a lawyer. Anymore. Bro, I interned for the Manhattan District Attorney from the time that I was 14 years old, off and on until the time that I was 18 years old. Like I was going to be a lawyer. So you were already, you were in. Like you, you yeah, would have, yeah. You would have been pre-law had uh, assistant district attorneys who were going to give me recommendations. Like I was like, that's what I want to do in my life. And then um, the summer before senior year, I was really cool with this one ADA and and like the goal when you're that age is to like second seat a trial, right? Like show up in my suit, sit next to the lawyer. Um, you know, I don't know what that it, means, by the way. So, so, so I'm, I'm saying, so, so the second seat is like, you know, you, you, you know, like in law, law and order, the, the lawyer gets up and is pacing and there's the person who's sitting next to the lawyer handing them files. Yeah. That's second seating the trial, right? Normally a, a junior lawyer or a junior attorney will sit there and like learn, you know, rhetoric or learn moves or hand motions and that sort of stuff. And so... I was, I was able to do that. And for some reason on this one day, two people I went to school with ended up having trials. And for some reason that like, it hit me super hard. Like, am I just gonna spend time prosecuting people that I knew from like, from uptown in Harlem, from like, from, from the city, like kids I knew growing up. Damn. And for some reason, like, I couldn't get over that idea. And I said, well, maybe I'll do corporate law. But like the point of me being a lawyer was because I wanted to help people. Like that was my whole MO. Um, and so senior year came and I kept struggling with that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take a year off and then I'll go to law school. Um, and it just so happens that that one year is now almost 10 years. Like it just, just nice. hasn't happened. Um, but what so did you want to do in that one year? Honestly, dude, in a perfect world, I would have taken that one year and like traveled like backpacked places and, and learn more about the world. Like I didn't travel a lot growing up. It wasn't until my college girlfriend that like, I left the country for the first time. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I was like, this is going to be great. Um, and then I realized that again, I, we were not made of money. My family was not affluent. So the idea of like backpacking through Europe was silly. Uh, and I got, I got my ass a job and nice. I was working at a college, uh, uh, college, uh, MCPHS university, yep. which is right. Um, I was 22. The average student age was 27. So immediately I was told, don't let anyone know how old you are because they're not going to take you seriously as an administrator if they think you're 22. Nice. And I said, cool. Uh, and so I was hired to be the assistant director of student activities. And the best part about it is the role had just been made. I was going to be the first person in that role wow. to do student activities, student engagement. And even better, there was no director of student activities. So you were the assistant to a job that doesn't exist? I was the assistant to the dean of students because they didn't have someone that was directly in my department. So effectively, I was hired to develop a department nice. at 22 years old. 
which was How did you find this though sick uh so i was trying to figure out what i was going to do i actually was going to go to dc which brings you into politics right i was going to go to uh washington dc and try to work for like a congressman or someone as just a staffer and uh one of the administrators in my college was like hey you did a lot of engagement on on campus you you seem to know people and like people here's an opportunity for you so they and, reached out to you well no so she put the word in for me to apply i applied and i got that push to get an interview gotcha and then like i'm 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 pretty good with people so like it just you could you head. could dude you could sell a walnut to i don't know some something that don't eat walnuts <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna sound ridiculously stupid on audio and i can't wait <laughs> i i can't wait to start using that like bro i could sell walnuts to, to things that don't even like walnuts i'm just, that's, that's gonna be it <laughs> say that in a that's political environment i bet they'd laugh you out of the room <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's all about the way you say it bro it's all about the way you say it um so so yeah like i, I did that um and then i I dove into like community work, you know what I mean? I started joining different boards and committees and commissions and getting involved in local political campaigns. Um, when, when Elizabeth Warren ran for Senate for the first time, I got to work on her campaign, which was sick. Um, just learning the ropes and seeing how real shows like the West Wing or Scandal are. Uh, and they're not pretty, very real? You know, it's, um, you'd be surprised, man, like, like how much, how much politics is in politics but also like growing up is realizing how much politics is in everything yeah there is in businesses you know? specifically yeah in day-to-day -day stuff yeah it's it's incredible i mean but but if you think about it right like go, go back to like the high school stuff right like the idea of like who is part of what crew and what click and what the hierarchy of that click is at that school that's politics yep you know what I mean? Like we don't we don't call it that, right? We we call it like high school nonsense or whatever cases, but like that's what it is. Is you learning how to navigate systems? You know, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, and so yeah, the the city came calling two and a half years into my gig at the college, and I saw it as an opportunity to do more, and I was really grateful for the opportunity at the college, and I just kind of jumped into it, man. And I've been here for six years. It's crazy. <laughs> so so that one year off turn into the rest turn into forever <laughs> like i i took a year off at 22 and i'm gonna be 31 so yeah <laughs> kept going there you go and so uh how come you never moved back home i mean like it's like no no a normal person let's call it quote unquote normal person would have been like sure yeah. i'll take this job i'll work for it for a couple years two three years and then i'll find a job back home or something like that right especially in new york city where you have all the opportunities that anybody could ever dream of. Totally. It, you know, it's um, one of the things that I think you get confronted with in life, right, in your 20s, is trying to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is a ridiculous amount of pressure to put on someone who just started legally drinking a year before. <laughs> and, and I think that at 22, in my mind, you know, my mom, who I, I keep bringing up because she's just amazing. She, she worked tireless efforts and overtime to make sure me and my little brother had what we needed and what we wanted, you know? And so when I was younger and, you know, as, as a mother of two black boys, she would always say, you know, you have to be 10 times better than your counterparts, no matter where you are. And so what that means is, you know, when you're done 
with school, you know, we got to, we got to get you a good job. And we, and like all that stuff was so ingrained in my head that I was like, I can't move back home. I gotta, I gotta go get a place. That's what you do when you graduate college. And so I went and got an apartment and I was like, I'm going to figure this out. To show you know, you and like have on your own and, and, and totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and I think that, you know, over the first three years, it was a lot of me finding my footing and having these sort of small opportunities that I didn't realize were going to set me up for what I'm doing now. And, you know, eventually I got the conversation of, listen, you can stay in this city and you can be a, you know, a big fish in a small pond kind of thing, or you can go back to New York and be, you know, a small fish in, in the ocean. And for me, I always took it as a challenge of like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to show people that like, I'm a shark everywhere. Like I'm going to make this work so that I can do amazing things in this city, but also try to help elevate this city to a global stage. Right. You know, and that was my goal. It wasn't about like being comfortable in my situation. It was like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to have such discomfort. We're going to try to move this boulder up the hill to a place that people don't even know what's going on. And, and that was kind of what I set out to do. And, you know, being able to work within a global arts community to an extent did that, you know, like there are people who were talking about this city in rooms that didn't know how to pronounce the name of the city a year prior. And, and that was kind of a cool opportunity. And so even now, you know, I think about moving back home a bunch, but it's only a three hour ride away. Yeah. So I still get to be home whenever I need to, uh, except during some of these crazy times, but I get to generally go home whenever. And I'm far enough away that I get to like make a small name for my family in a place that like we hadn't planted our flag yet. Right. So you, you, you hinted on it and, and you're the only person thus far seven episodes in that I have nothing scripted for because I knew that our conversation could just carry itself. <laughs> uh, like that, that's a fact. I literally, yeah. I usually have like five bullets or something like that to go off of. I got nothing. So yeah. we're, uh, we're, sh- we're cool. straight, just free balling it. Um, but, um, you hinted at it right there that like the arts community and like, so as somebody who entered in as an assistive administrative director or whatever, your, what's your official title today? I am the deputy cultural development officer. Sounds sexy. Um, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think a title of a job can sound any better. Um, so how do you, like, oh, I love it. How do you go from working a, a suit and tie job, right, to being so involved in the arts community? And, and, and you brought it up, right? It's like that, that job, or when we grew up, we're, we're not too far apart in age. When we grew up, to your point even earlier about cliques in high school and stuff like that, it, you couldn't do suit and tie and arts. It just, it doesn't, right. it, it didn't jive, right? And so how did you stumble into the arts community in Worcester or did you always have some sort of inkling towards it growing up? Um, so, so I'd say on one hand, there's this quote that's been making the rounds on, on social that I love. And, and it was said by the best rapper ever, Sean Carter, Jay-Z, who said, I enter every room as myself. And I think that that was a big part of it that it took me a, a long time, like most people, to be comfortable being who I am. But once I figured that out, you know, I am both the suit and tie, you know, clerical bureaucrat at times. And I'm also the, you know, barely, but tattooed, art-loving hip-hop head. And like, I don't, I don't feel like I have to sacrifice either one of those things to be who I am. 
and and once I got that level of comfort in it, it really became easy to navigate those worlds, you know. Um, but you know, as far as the arts community, um, you know, growing up in New York City, you grow up surrounded by the arts, right. and and my mom did a great job of like making sure that when she had a day off, we would go to like the Museum of Natural History or we go to the the Guggenheim or the MoMA and just walk oh, around. Yeah. Um, and, and while my mom is not an art connoisseur, you know what I mean? Like my mom, my mom loves jazz and R&B and like Motown and soul and all that kind of stuff. Like music is her thing. But, you know, she just was like, you have to see it. You have to experience it. Um, we'd walk down Fifth Avenue just to look at like rich people stuff. Like just, just so that it wasn't a shock to me if ever I ended up in a situation where I saw it, you know? And like as a kid, I didn't understand that. But as an 18-year-old who went to like a predominantly white and affluent college, it was cool to understand how to be around rich people because I was like, "Whoa, this is ridiculous. You guys have way too much." You know, I was like, "How do you?" No sense, you know, guys. No, what it was crazy. You, <laughs> you know, what did you do over winter break? I was like, I I chilled in the house and had a snowball fight. What did you do? And like, oh, we went to Aspen, and I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. Um, but but because of that. You know, um, I, I was exposed to it and like I had an appreciation for it, but really it wasn't until like 2012, 2013 that like I did a deep dive into specifically like street art, mural art. Like initially it caught my attention. Um, I, I was working on a lot of city stuff and, and I sort of saw these cities that were like burnt out just being rebuilt by, you know, people that were, some people considered vagrants, like, you know, these artists that were just going around and doing murals. And they weren't always commissioned and they weren't always things people were comfortable with, but they did it. And it added a splash of paint where it wasn't. You know, uh, uh, this artist out of New Orleans, B Mike, always says, uh, I put paint where it ain't. And I love that, you know, like getting into communities that don't have it and like, boom, there you go. And so I, I started seeing these cities that were doing it, parts of Brooklyn, parts of Miami, how Philly had been doing it since the 70s. Um, and then I looked at, at the city I was living in and I said, we got these gigantic walls. We got these old mill buildings and these factories. We should, we should do some projects. And, you know, uh, my, uh, a guy who was a mentor to me, uh, Caleb Nealon was like, bro, you work for the city. You wear a suit every day. If you go to artists and say, I want to put murals in my city, they're going to say, you're trying to gentrify it. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. That's exactly, that's exactly what they're going to say but that's not my intention. And he was like, yeah, but like, you don't really know anything about like the culture, like you, you like it, but like what you're doing now would just lead to gentrification. Like you have to understand history and, and, and people and like fully embrace what the culture is. And so it became this like immersion into events and artists and learning paints and spray caps and, and lift sizes. And it became this, this thing that is best embodied, not to keep quoting people, but uh, uh, Conor McGregor has this quote that I love when he was asked about how he's so talented and he says, I'm not, I'm not talented. I'm obsessed. Right. Like it's not, it, it, it's a write-off to say that I have talent. Like I, I didn't just get this way from talent. I like went and worked and busted yeah, my behind and like, and like, that's what it was. Like I traveled to every festival I could think of to meet artists and musicians and organizers and see what they were doing and pick their, that, Hey, can I pick your brain thing? Which I know some people are really antsy about. Um, I was the, the poster child for that. Like I just have so many questions. And I'm not afraid to ask them. And eventually, you find yourself just starting to get invited to more stuff and, and seeing some people again. And eventually, uh, I started running around with these Worcester t-shirts, right? And I would hand artists that I was super into their work a t-shirt and be like, hey, don't forget the city. We're going to do something. 
And when they would say, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? I would say, I don't know, bro, just wait on it. And, and that became like this tagline for everything, right? Like, I don't really know when, but like, just wait on it. It's going to be this thing. And then inevitably in 2016, it, we got it popping here for the first time and 22 artists came and, and rocked out in Worcester and they were from nine different countries around the world. And before I knew it, 22 artists coming here, you know, over the course of four years became 160 something artists coming here. Sheesh. And it was, it was beautiful, you know, and it was something that we couldn't have imagined or planned. So, so you told me this, this fact, one, I think it's a fact, uh, that I try to replicate when I talk about the city in terms of uh, the graffiti art that's all around the city. And it is literally everywhere. And it's, it's a really amazing thing. Well, you can walk and every other block has art. Um, is, is it the most, the most art on properties like per square mile in all of New England or something like that? Or, or what's like the fact? It is, we have the most, we have the most fact, mural, murals in a city in New England. We have the largest collection of out, like if you call it an outdoor art gallery, it is the largest and widest in New England. Yeah. And that's like yep. amazing, right? Uh, New England's oh, large. It's a lot of, it's a lot of cities. It's a lot of uh, states. Um, yep. You know, I think, I don't know if it was, if I think it was you even who told me like way back when that like nobody's really capitalized on the city because it's an hour from Hartford. It's an hour from Boston. It's an hour from Providence. It's an hour from New Hampshire and an hour from Vermont. And nobody's figured out how to actually capitalize on what this city can be in terms of a business. Right. Here, right? And it's something really beautiful to think about because everybody's willing to your point, you're willing to drive three hours to New York city. That's nothing. So what, right. what's the difference for right. an hour for somebody from a different state to come to an event? I, when I was like, uh, like 11, 12, it's like middle school, right? I remember uh, a teacher telling me, I was like acting out because, you know, like puberty and like, and girls, that's just, that's why you act out when you're like 11, 12. Um, and, and he said to my mom, you know, Shay has so much potential, but he doesn't see it. And when he does, it's going to be something. And like, as a kid, you kind of write that yeah, off, yeah. but like it sticks in the back of your mind. And as a person who like, at times is like a bit of a perfectionist. I'm like, all right. I remember looking at this city and going, this city has so much potential and it like clicked. And I was like, we're going to do something with it. And I think it's, it's that, right? Like if you were always a straight A student, it's hard to look at something that's imperfect and go, we're going to build something out of this. But if you're a person who's had that conversation internally, you could see things before they are what they are. And I think that was just the opportunity I had you know, like you had this, this clean slate, this blank canvas and you're like, no, no one's going to paint on this. <laughs> All right? Like, you know what I mean? That's cool. I'll get it started. <laughs> right. Right. And let's see what happens. And, and it's been, it's been great to see how it's taken off, man. You know, like, and, and like, you know, for not for nothing to see like how many opportunities I've been afforded for doing stuff here, you know, like I never, I yeah. never thought some of the opportunities would come up and I'm like, sick. Let's do how that. many people you've met, how many relationships you've built, you know, totally. it's, but it's, it's whatever you put out into the world is what you're going to get back. hundred percent. So with that being said, the, the, the first year of 2016 with 22 artists was through powwow, correct? Yeah. And so do you want to just like give a lot of people may or may not know what powwow is and then how totally. did you get, 
involved with them, right? Like, did you just slide into Powwow's DMs? It's a global organization and you're just like, hey, I got this cool opportunity that I think is a good opportunity. <laughs> the funny thing is, yeah, that's almost exactly how it happened. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was in the midst of organizing this thing that at one point was called the Worcester Mural Project. Okay. And uh, it just, it's most private. Richmond had the Richmond Mural Project and Mural Arts in Philly. So Worcester Mural Project sounded not super sexy, but it was what it was. And I was talking to organizers to literally like figure out like how they were doing what they were doing and what are some like pitfalls I should, I should be aware of. So the guys out of Montreal, right, Landmark that do Mural Fest, I was talking to them and the guy down in Richmond, Shane. And eventually I talked to this guy, Jasper Wong, who started Pow Wow as a gallery show in China before it grew into this mural fest in, in Honolulu, Hawaii. And it was, you know, Complex was covering it at the time. Hypebeast was like, it was this huge mural fest that I knew a ton about, but obviously I'd never been to Hawaii. And I was like, hey man, like, it'd be cool if I can get like 30 minutes of your time and just talk about what you're doing. And he said, bet. And 30 minutes became like a three hour conversation. I'll never forget, it. we just kept rapping and talking about stuff. And in Hawaii? No, no, on the phone at first. It was just like, like oh, okay. me, he was in Hawaii. It was like five here and like noon there. And we, we, but we talked for like three full hours. And then I, I was like, right, I'll call you back in like a day. He's like, cool, like a day or two. And we talked again for like two hours. And he said, hey man, like, show me some of the walls you got in Worcester. And I said, cool, showed him some of these gigantic buildings. And he was like, bro, you should come to Hawaii and we should talk about like you doing something like this. And I said, I'd love to do something like powwow. And he was like, oh, you'd like to do a powwow? And I was like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I said. Let's, let's do that. Um, and he said, fly to Hawaii. And I was like, all right, cool. And I hung up and I was like, how am I going to get to Hawaii? <laughs> Hawaii sounds expensive. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I literally like went home to my family and was like, hey, uh, I don't know if you guys were thinking about getting me like a Christmas present. Don't, uh, I just need money to go to Hawaii. And like money got cobbled together. And a few of us flew out to like see if we can convince these this people. Was, to this was what, 2015 or 2000? This is, no, no, this is February of 2016. Okay, so it's the same year. Right? We fly out, we, we spend 10 days there, we learn the ins and outs, we meet the people, we vibe. And we're like, so do we get to, to do something? And effectively, he was like, yeah, let's talk about it next week. So we flew all the way out there, we're flying back, we have no guarantee. And the conversation took us from the middle of February till the end of March. And then come like the last week of March, he was like, cool, when do you wanna kick off? And we were like, we're thinking August. And he was like, well, that's aggressive, but okay. And so we had, you know, just over four months to figure out doing our first mural festival and they emails started flying dms and instagram started flying as i was traveling places I was like yo what's there is the spot yada yada and we said all right we're gonna we're gonna do something easy we're gonna do 10 murals in 10 days because it sounds sexy it's easy it's brandable it's marketable and soon 10 became well all right i'm coming from austin but can my, my folk come like we're gonna drive up and yeah oh yeah bet. all right so that's 11 murals cool oh snap homegirl from Boston, let's come down and do a mural. All right, that's 12. That, oh, wait, the dude I randomly partied with in London the first time I went there in June happens to be in the States that week. Well, he has to do a piece too. <laughs> cool. And then before you knew it, 
then before you knew it, we had, you know, 19, no, 22 different artists. And we had local artists that were involved. And so we had these walls we had to build. And this guy from a uh, reservation in Washington came by and he had the first powwow in Hawaii. So of course he got them. And like, it just became this like global community rallying around our city. And we were doing events. Most of them were legal. <laughs> and nice. people just had no idea what was happening. You know, it was, it, imagine the first year, like, Coachella became huge in India, right? Like folks were like, what is this? And again, not to that scale, like you're talking something crazy, but like, that's what it was for the city. It was like, what's happening? And you're talking about artists who were at the time, you know, assistants for people like Mark Jacobs and people who were, you know, doing Dior campaigns that ASAP Mob was all in and people who were, you know, creative designers and directors at Converse and like, like, you know, they're, they're muralists, but like, you're talking about hitters coming to this city just to rock with us. You know, it was, it was a beautiful thing, man. Like it's, it's crazy. So do, so do you run Powwow Worcester? No, no, no. So for, for a couple of years, um, I was one of like the, the main directors of it. And then I spent uh, 2018 and 2019 sort of transitioning to like more behind the scenes person, really kind of just helping out with some of the brand partnerships. Um, cause, cause I found that, you know, over time it was great and I was happy to facilitate, but as my job, my day job was changing, I had to dedicate a little more time to that. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I started realizing like as much as I enjoyed just like the rigmarole of like talking to the artists and figuring that stuff out, I really love the community aspect of it and figuring out, okay, what do activations look like, right? Like how do we get not just the murals to be your experience, but how do we get this artist to do a workshop with kids? How do we get this brand to see an opportunity and do something for our community? You know, how do we get these athletes that would normally do something if it was in Boston or New York to come to this city and, and do a celebrity soccer match? And so that became so much more my focus. And so kind of the day-to-day -day operations were left to uh, these two other, other women, Lisa and Jess, who have done a great job with the program. Um, and for me, it became more like, all right, how do we how do we get a group like 47 to come to our city and do a really cool activation? Um, yeah, that kind of became more my focus. That's amazing. I mean, oh, cool. I, I for those who, who haven't had the opportunity to come visit Worcester, some people, Worcester gets a bad rep. I think it, it, years ago, uh, sure. it, it was known as, you know, a shitty place to live. It, you know, there was violence, there was robberies there to me i think it's like one of the uh, i feel super safe in every part like i'm not i'm totally I'm not worried totally. about it and and you know what i, I was that it's um okay. one one important thing to know is that like i think that a lot of cities get bad reps you know but like if you live in a city it probably has more crime than like the surrounding suburbs that's that's living in a city you know um, but I agree with you. Like, like, you know, you can walk around most places. It's a very safe city statistically. Um, but you know, it's also the big city compared to some of the smaller towns surrounding it. So like it gets that city rep, but I think you can say the same about most cities in our country, you know? Yeah. And it's usually the, the other cities who talk shit about <laughs> the, the, the city that, that is, has, right. you know, right. it's like, it's like, Oh, Boston, Boston, everybody in Boston hates Worcester. So, okay, cool. Um, but I think the both can survive right. on their own. Uh, so what, um, 
what's like the next like big thing for you? I mean, you're, you work on a lot of different projects. I think we're, we're very like-minded in the fact that we, we can't work on one or two things. We like to juggle six, seven, eight, 12 different things all at the same time uh, and bring friends along with us. Right. And so what's something that uh, food and convo being one of them uh, that you, you got off the ground recently, um, which is a, a podcast, a show, um, you know, with obviously friends of, of yours, um, but then also inviting new people and getting that. But uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that or even something different that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, so quickly about Food and Convo. Food and Convo um, came about, oddly enough, because of a panel that was done that you were on uh, about sneaker culture. That's how it, right. that's how it came up? That's From how it started? the hype? Yeah, behind the hype. No shit. Behind the hype, yeah. We um so so Clyde was uh Clyde works, right, who who works over at, at Puma. Right. He uh he was like, yo, I just overheard you do you, you do powwow stuff. I was trying to get one of those hoodies. And OG Slick, very big shot to OG Slick, like LA Legend, did a big mural in Worcester and had a merch suite he did. And Best Mural Clyde, in the City, by the way. It's a banger. It is a banger. It is, <laughs> it is a banger. <laughs> he, a banger. He, um, he, so he did the suite, and I guess Clyde had been trying to reach out and get in touch with someone. And I was like, yo, I got you. Just let me know what size you need, and I'll hook it up. And so we switched up, and then I was like, yo, it's funny. I used to, like, follow, you know, inside the sneaker box, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, all right. And I invited him out to an event in Worcester, and we synced up, and then we got some food and talked about just, like, life. And he said, so, like, what's next? And I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about what I want to do. Maybe something around, you know, sports or, you know, finding, opp- I want to find opportunities to connect people. Like, that's what I'm good at. You know, I'm, I'm good at hearing one thing here and one thing here and going, you two need to link up. And he said, oh, that's so funny. I've been thinking about doing this thing for a couple years now called Food and Convo. And I said, what's the point of that? And he goes, literally, Food and Conversation. And I said, I dig that because, like, that's the easiest way to bring people together on a table with some food and then it kind of breaks barriers. Um, and so from there, it was like, boom, let's, so let's, let's do that. Let's take my idea of, of bringing people together around sports and other opportunities and art and food and convo and bang. Now we got this thing we're going to do. And, you know, it's been the last few months trying to figure out how to build it and how to brand it and how to, how to, you know, just have conversation and, and all the meanwhile, still just like having, conversations especially during the time of uh covid you know having these virtual talks has been really fun uh and and it's it's kind of beautiful because it's not you know powwow was us building something locally and regionally off of a global brand right right so there were still like some global ideals to it identity to it um this is whatever we want it to be and so it's like a, a totally different challenge to try to to work on this and i love that um and then beyond that honestly dude like i've taken this time of you know coronavirus to just try to like be more creative myself you know um i bought a keyboard i bought a keyboard so i'm teaching myself how to play piano um so that'll be a little fun or play keyboard more so and then i'll get to 88 keys at some point um (laughs) and then beyond 61 right now you know 61 um but but i've been doing a lot more just like diving into just worlds I don't really know about. Like I've done so much reading about video games uh, the last like month 
um, partially just because of like personal interest, but also that thing that Travis Scott did on Fortnite. Um, it's crazy. I, I've, I've said this numerous times, dude. I, if you are a person that works in a creative industry, and I'm not going to define a creative industry, but if you work in a creative industry and you have not watched that video at least twice, you're, you're like failing a bit in your industry, right? Because what, what they did with an internet video game tour showed so much intersectionality of music and gaming and fashion and hip hop and live performance. Um, and even the way they've pivoted now to some of their live EDM concerts, I just find it to be really intriguing, you know, and, and looking at what games like Animal Crossing have done around, again, you know, gaming, arts, uh, music. It's, it's like stuff that, yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a crazy world. And so, like, I've just been talking to so many friends and friends of friends about that industry and just trying to learn more, you know? Yeah. I mean, do you think, do you think there's an opportunity to ever somehow get into the gaming world i mean it seems like it's probably going to be the next top five sport and we're going to call it a sport where we're in 2020 um you know yep. globally um if it's not already um you know which is totally. such a crazy talk crazy topic because you know specifically when i grew up and and i was a, a big xbox uh kid i loved the, the original call of duties i loved halo uh, I was a rock star at it. And like every night I'd go, I'd work four, four hour, four, four or five hour shifts at Subway. I'd get out at nine. I'd be home by nine 30. I would literally eat my sandwich that I got for free and play call of duty or halo. Like at the same time, <laughs> like one o'clock in the morning. And then I'd go to school the next morning. And it was like, yeah. that was it. And like nowadays it's like, you can have a career in playing video games. Back then it was like, my parents were like, get off. Like we have to set time limits, right? Like you can't, no midnight you're off like that's it <laughs> so it's yeah. like it's kind of crazy it's, that you know that's I, I, I've, I've been talking to a few folks around here about trying to go ahead i don't know i like like i think i, I think there's a, i think there's a delay um, yeah, yeah there was a slight delay my bad um i was just saying i've been talking to like local schools here about developing gaming teams and you know our our public school system has like you know been interested and we're trying to figure some some last minute things out but the reason for it for me is that you know unlike some some other kind of local sports that are already sort of ingrained and embedded and like they are they are right you're on the basketball team or you're not you're on the football team or you're not maybe you're a cheerleader or the manager that's it in gaming you could be the gamer you could be the game developer you could be the person marketing the game you could be the creative designer figuring out some of the content around it you like you can build out so many other jobs from this esport, mm. you know, and for me, like, there's where the opportunity is, right? Not everyone's gonna be an amazing gamer, like that kid that won three million dollars last summer, right? Like that—that's dope, being 16 and winning three million. Like, I'd love to win three million now, <laughs> um, but not everyone could be that kid. But there's the person who like did the back end to that. There's the person who had to figure out the marketing around it, the posters around that game, what the character design looks like, the actual creative direction of what the inside of the game looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Like. There's some video games that have graffiti on the walls and some that have dancers and your Grand Theft Autos that are super immersive. Like there are opportunities for so many more young people to get involved in that industry, which pays people a lot better than a lot of other industries. True. You know, it's so like, that's, that's the type of mentality I'm saying like we need to have more of because, you know, how many kids love video games and hate every other aspect of school. And normally we'd say, 
well, you're going to be a failure because all you want to do is play games. And now it's like, well, you can be a multimillionaire from being really good at these games. Facts. Like that level of thinking has to shift. And even, even in the future, like I'm so sure yeah, man, it's not, not going to be like just the level of zero or three million. It's like every other job, right? There's going to be the tiers, right? It's, it's going to be like right. the pros. It's going to be the semi-pros. It's going to be the, the intermediates. Right. There's going to be, I think there's going to be other opportunities to your point of like, you don't have to be the best in the world in order to, to be like in that industry. Um, it's to your point, an industry within itself and with different hierarchy, hierarchical, that's not a word, tiers of uh, stuff. Yeah, there we go. Bro, have, have you heard of a phase clan? Of what? Phase clan? No. So phase clan is a gaming crew. Um, they have the most viewers, the highest viewership of any gaming team in the world, right? I think across platforms, something like 300 million people follow their social media account. It's insane. Um, they've done collaborations with champs, with the NFL, with, with you know, their, their, their team members are Little Yachty, Offset from the Migos, Juju Smith-Schuster from the Steelers, Ben Simmons from the Sixers, right? Like, they, they more than any other team, with the, with the second being in this group, 100 Thieves, that's owned by Scooter Braun, and I think Drake is a co-owner, but they figured out that you can brand the gaming stuff, as opposed to just being good at gaming, like, we're also cool people. Mm -hmm. And, like, they figured out that content creation side of it. So now they're out here getting sponsorship deals <laughs> with like people that other athletes are, are, are looking to, right? Who doesn't like cool, like champ, champion swag and like, boom, there you go. This gaming crew has it. Um, and so for me, even like that's, that shows another level of thinking, right? We're like, they're the people who are going to watch us play this game, play Call of Duty and be the best at it. And we're going to have these sick jerseys. And just like any other athlete, they're going to want so-and-so's jersey. Yep. So now how do you provide merch around that? So like those kids who are looking up to that person, instead of getting uh, Edelman jersey, are getting a Banks jersey or a Temper jersey. You know, like that's th there's just there's so many layers to it, man. Like I've I've literally done like some deep dives. I think I'm gonna start doing my deep dives because I feel very <laughs> far behind, and I think everybody who watches this is gonna feel very far behind. <laughs> Let's you're, take you're, a look at it, man. You're, you're always ahead of the curve. Um, but the Can only help. <laughs> the the conversation started um kind of around certain other things that you're working on uh during even you know covid like i guess how are you you know and, and what you're doing and taking the time for obviously you're still working a lot um but what are some other things that you're doing do you think that your job's changed in any way or like for the majority part uh everything's worked itself out and you're able to to kind of network your way through this situation so to be honest, I think that, you know, working in, in government, um, my, my job has shifted, right? Because there's, there's the acute need that we have in our community. And so people are placed in positions to assist with that. Um, and so our city developed a fund and the fund was meant to deal with everything from food to housing, health and mental health, elder care, child care, domestic violence, uh, culture, working with the clergy on assisting in situations. And so my role became to be the liaison between the city and all those groups. Uh, and so I'm on, you know, a trillion Zoom calls a week. 
um, just listening in and figuring out where the opportunities are for us to step in, uh, where the opportunities are for us to connect, um, and, and just learning like what are the, the real time needs of people in our community to assist where we can, um, all the while still having the cultural position and trying to figure out how do we assist our institutions, how do we assist our individual artists. Um, and so some of the first things we did were we figured out how to get the food pantries, all the food they needed, how to get a repository of diapers, of hand sanitizer, of masks, how to get those masks out to seniors, to people doing childcare for emergency workers. And then how do we get funding to provide a creative relief fund for creatives in our city? And so that fund got created and it turned around in two weeks. And before you know the unemployment bill was changed, immediately 70 plus people in our community got a quick $500 to help them in this time of need. Right, rent, food, whatever it is you need it for. Um, and so it's been, it's been interesting just to see people mobilize in that kind of way and come together. Um, and now that we're kind of at the peak, hopefully, um, you've seen a lot of transition to this phase we, we call reimagine and then recovery. Where reimagine is like, look, let's not pretend like the world was the best for everyone before this how do we set up systems so that like we have more equity across the board and then recovery is like how do we put that in place so that it's sustainable so it's not like cool here's a few extra hundred dollars on your check for the next month best of luck to you like no no how do we ensure these people can still eat and feed their families and go back to work three six months from now when those benefits no longer exist um so yeah it shifted a bit but you know, we're, we got a, a creative project that I can't talk too much about yet, but we're going to be cranking it out in the next week or so. And I think it is going to be for the city, the for the city. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I got to pitch it and people took to it and it's an opportunity really to help uplift and inspire some people and hone in on the connection between arts and culture and mental health. So really excited about, about that opportunity. And anybody can help out or. Yep, uh, it's, it's gonna be a full call. So a full request for, for qualifications. And it's gonna be, honestly, worldwide. We're gonna be looking for, for 20 creative people to help give our city a boost. Um, and we're gonna put them in a position where if it goes well, then other cities can replicate and hopefully give their city a boost too. That sounds awesome. I will inquire offline in a little bit more detail. <laughs> um, I got you. Um, so let's, let's talk about, um, and I think like, I'm not even looking back, I'm not rewatching this episode already, but like, I think what what makes you really, really unique and and special is that you're always looking for what the next best thing is for other people. It's like never about you. Like I just asked you how you're, how you're doing with COVID and you start, you went off on a rant of helping people. And like, it's not, it's never about <laughs> you. It's always about other people. And I think that's, and, and you mentioned you have this special power of connecting people and socializing and, and you do a really, really nice job of it. It's kind of, it's infectious actually. Um, it's kind of, it's crazy. Oh, um, so with that being said, like, what are, <laughs> like you mentioned the goal of like uplifting Worcester to like, I'm going to take it to, to become the, the best thing in the area or whatever like for yourself, selfishly, like what are your long-term goals, right? And I, I've been asking everybody because I think goal, goals in general, right, aren't, aren't talked about enough. And, and from my perspective, it's, it's, 
It's because if you don't have a goal set for yourself, even a daily goal, let alone a long-term goal, you have no idea what you're living for. You don't know why you're going to work. You don't know why you're, you're hustling. You don't know why you're sitting on the couch. You don't know why you're doing anything unless you know what you're driving towards. And nobody wants to talk about it. And I think it's really special, especially hearing other people who do have goals. Like, what are yours? What, do you, what like helps you mo stay motivated and work the stupid hours that you work? So uh, as far as like things that like, I have like a, do I have it here? Yeah. Oh, my black and red, uh, which I took to writing into to start this year. Um, this has my work related goals in it. Okay. And this checkered notebook I got as a thing from Vans has my personal goals in it. Um, and I took to writing them down because I actually found last year um, goals I had set five years prior and a friend told me to write them down on a pad and I randomly found them while cleaning my apartment and I was like oh my god this is so crazy and I had set um, like one to three year goals five year goals and then ten year goals and in my ten year goals I had accomplished everything except for two things and I was like whoa this is crazy and the two things were uh, own a car, which, uh, you know me, a New York City kid. I'm like, nah, I don't I need a car right now. Um, and and uh, get married, which I'm also not right now. Uh, and so those, those things not included, I was like, you know what? I need to set some loftier, weightier goals. Like, this is really fun, but like, what do I want to do? At the same time, though, juggling the fact that the people that I often look to and compare like what they're doing to what I'm doing are people who tend to be 20 years my senior, right. which isn't even fair, like for myself, right? Like I'm someone who's 50 something years old has had way more experience and time to like get where they are. But I'd often go, damn, I wish I was doing that. And like, I'm learning to take my time with things. So, so I'd say personally, the goals that I've set forth, which this is going to sound like a lofty goal. Um, I, I truly do want to be the mayor of this city um, one day. I think that there's something very beautiful about that opportunity for a city that I'm not born in, but have adopted and been adopted by um, to give back and sort of show my appreciation for it and do some good work. So I think that would be, that'd be sick. Um, I'm currently getting my master's. Uh, so I'm in school while doing all this stuff. And so I am looking forward to finishing that master's and then deciding whether or not I want to be Dr. Che, which would be sick. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be dope. But that's not the reason why you're doing it. So let me look at that. I'm going to pause you, <laughs> pause you real, real quick. We're going we're gonna to just take a real quick time out. First and foremost, why are you, out of everything you're doing and the success that you've had in this city, why are you doing, going for your master's degree? Um, I, I believe that you truly should never stop learning. Um, and so on, on one hand, you know, like I think having a master's like what you're taught to have, right? It's the next step in your career development and you want to make sure you get the next job. And um, government isn't necessarily like that. There are people in tons of positions that don't have a master's. They just worked in government for a while. Right. Um, but for me, you know, there's no, I, I've had so much hands-on experience. I kind of wanted some of the book learning. You know, I want, I want to mm. be able to, to quote Woodrow Wilson and his theory on administration. Like that's, 
that's cool. Um, or, you know, you, you read some stuff about some of the not so great things that happen in history and politics and you're like, okay, yeah, don't make that mistake again. <laughs> that's, that's a real thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, just, I really have enjoyed that. Um, and so I think that if there's an opportunity to take it a step further, you know, I, I am a person that is on my phone constantly to the point that I have two of them. I'm just, I'm just always plugged in. And that has its, its downfall of like, you're never disconnected and has this positive of like, you're never disconnected. Like you can be anywhere in the world you want right now. And, and, I think that's, right. and, and that's beautiful, but there's also some of the stuff that's gonna come specifically from text that was written with a certain purpose of teaching a very particular topic. And, and that is sometimes good to just break away from the bombardment of knowing a little bit about everything to being able to learn a ton about one subject. And so I, I really, really appreciate, like I nerd out having these conversations and debates with my classmates about things. Like the amount of conversations we've had around Korea versus Sweden versus the US and their response to this has been so dope. You know, like, like it has been, it's, it's an amazing conversation, so. Yeah, right, you're, you're about to make politics really cool, and I don't, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I can only hope, bro. I can only hope. Um, yeah. So, so you're, it's specifically to help drive your, your actual full-time job, your career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, and, and, and you know what, like, honestly, like, not to, not to get all, like, like soapboxy, you know what I mean? That's, that's not what I'm trying to do. But um, we recently had a situation down in Georgia where a, a black man that was jogging was killed um, for no reason at all. And it probably would, like, it, it, it's heavy, but it would be a lot heavier if that didn't seem to happen all the time. And one thing that I learned early from my mom is that sometimes these things happen to people who look like you. And that's that. You, you, are, you are a name and you could be walking and hanging out and doing nothing, but that means you're doing something. Um, and so I, I took to heart growing up this belief that like I had to literally learn more, train harder, work better, work smarter than people that I'm constantly around. And that's no knock on them. I've been around some amazing people, but I had to be that much better because I had to like prove something. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of men who look like me are taught and deal with. And so part of it is that in the back of my mind, like as much as, yes, I want to, you know, uh, get raises and, 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 and then move up the ladder. Um, there's that part that's always back there. That's like, you have to do this because you have to prove you're as worthy as some other people there. Um, and so like, I'd, I'd be you know, remiss for not, for not just putting that out there and saying that, you know, that, that's, that's a matter of fact. Um, even down to like, it's my inflection when I speak, right? This is, this is me comfy, like just, just talking and shooting the shit. But like when I'm home, home shooting the shit, it sounds even a little bit different than this. And when I'm fully on, like picking up the, the, the work phone, that, that octave goes up, you know, it's, 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 it becomes a naturalistic code switch at this point. I know I've heard all three different phases of you chat. have you definitely have <laughs> and they're they're all very unique it's kind of crazy how you do have this switch that just that it transforms <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy we got the we got the the middle ground in my opinion <laughs> yeah yeah definitely. definitely I mean that's a pretty crazy goal right to become mayor by the time you're 40 you know um I think 
but that's that's what if you're if you're only setting small goals in front of you that are only like a mile in front of you, I mean, cool, you're probably gonna hit ninety percent of them, but what are you actually accomplishing or attaining at the end of five years, right? It's like you right. you hit on ten different things and they might seem cool one year, but looking back on life, are they actually gonna be what you wanted to do? And I think you need a greater, larger purpose. Um and you need to build resources around it to get there. Um, so that's that's super cool. I'm I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. Um, and then one question that I've been uh, been asking a lot of people is like, what's your biggest struggle? Um, I just want you to know you're gonna hear some noise too because there's like a cleaning crew coming in here right now. <laughs> I just realized. Come on. Hey, I listen. <laughs> I so I have a very. I might respect cleaning crews and cleaning people more than any other job in the world. Um, one, because my mom did it when I was growing up for a very long time. She cleaned funeral homes, which was really yep. shitty, uh, and asked me to do it. And she paid me $10 to help her out when she was super tired after doing it all day. Uh, and then I'd see dead bodies and shit and it would really suck. Um, so I have a massive respect for, for, for cleaners and like, they just, they have that hustle in them like nobody else. They are, they are, are purebreds of the workforce and I, I respect and support them so much. And, and I think that's hilarious. Let's get them on. Like, let's, let's learn about their life. Let's flip the script. <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to not, not to put her on the camera. I'm going to look like literally that's what my end hair. Oh, nice. Like, like all the trial, like they're the most amazing crew of folks. They, every night they come in so many nights, they're like, Hey, we're leaving. You're going to just stay. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I'll close down. <laughs> um, I'll turn the lights like, off. The, I promise. Legit, the, the sweetest. <laughs> And, and as far I didn't know that about your mom. My um, my grandmother cleaned houses when I was growing up, and so on Saturdays and Sundays when my mom was working, you know, her overtime, my grandma, who specifically cleaned the houses of these two very affluent people, who lived on Central Park West in New York, would take me as a kid, and I remember that being like the first time I understood like disparity. You know what I mean? Like like we grew up not wanting for anything, but like in like these housing projects, and like it was dope. My mom, you know, did everything she could for us, and then I'd like leave there. We're like, we put in like a code to the building so we can get in and buzz in. And I'd leave and go to this place that had like a concierge. And I was like, oh, they got a doorman. That's cool. I didn't know what that, you know? And our buildings went up to like six, but their buildings went to like 20 something. And then you end up taking an elevator to someone's apartment and the elevator leaves you in the apartment. And I was like, what? And they had this crazy overview of Central Park. And they were the first people I knew that had a flat screen TV. And they were the... This is gonna sound crazy. The most excited I ever been as a kid was getting a, a a cup and going to one of those refrigerators that had ice that came out, the crushed ice that came out. The thing like you didn't have to open up the, the ice tray and crack ice out, bro. I I'm I'm telling you, I was I was like, Grandma, can I do it again? And she would be like, No, what what's wrong with you? And I was like, No, I need more ice. It was so dope. Yeah, I mean. Oh. It yeah, my my mom, uh, she was a stay at home mom for the most of our life. We, I mean, because they were immigrants, like who who came to America. We didn't really have anything. They, my dad was a firefighter in Poland, and then he, you know, worked shitty jobs when he came over. They didn't speak English the whole nine yards. Like we didn't have money either. And like the, my mom had to clean people's houses, rich people's houses. Uh, she cleaned office buildings. She, you know, cleaned funeral homes. And I, I just. I just have such a, a respect because like, I remember she would ask me and my older sister, like go help. And we were underaged for sure. Like this was, this was not legal. Yeah. She would slip us a 10 or a 20 to help for two hours to pick up trash. 
and like I'd walk through these yeah. rows of like the cubicle offices, right? And they, it'd be like a customer service place. And I remember there was 50 people there at like 9 p.m. at night, right? So they worked around the clock most disrespectful fucking human beings on the planet and i'm just a kid and i'm exposed to this and like they would literally throw shit in the trash and miss in front of you so you had to pick it up and put it in the trash i'm like i will never be like you and like they work a job guaranteed guaranteed. and so I, i i just i just respect you know, people who do like the backbone work of America, like it's, it's the truth. Yeah. Man. So anyway, that was a very, it's the, uh, it's the, God. And I was saying, it's the, as we're talking a lot about this situation and like frontline workers, like it's important not to forget that like service industry folks are also like frontline people, right? Like all the doctors are doing amazing work. So all the nurses, I would never take anything away from them, but the people who are like cleaning up facilities to make sure they're fine, the people who are, you know, volunteering to push people in their wheelchair because they can't walk and help them get from point A to point B. Like those people are as essential, uh, as like they, they are super essential as well. I don't want to compare jobs, but th- you know, they're also essential people. So yeah, that's super important to talk about. Totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, these usually just go as they go and then we figure it out. I don't know. Do you, do you want to talk or mention anything else? Or, I mean, I think we covered a lot and, uh, in the hour or so that we've been chatting. Yeah, I, you know, one, one thing, uh, you and I were having a, a couple conversations a few weeks back, and we were talking a lot about this crazy time. And one of the, the questions I knew I started asking a lot of creative people was, so how, how are you passing time during this whole thing? And I think that became a natural question to ask people, right? Some people were working, some were quarantining, some were furloughed. It was like, you know, how are you, how are you staying creative during this time? And I'm being honest, it took me a while to realize like how rude that question was, you know? Only in the sense that, and I, I get it, you asked me the same question, but and that's not what I'm saying. But I mean, like the, the idea, the premise was like, well, you have a bunch of time now obviously you're doing something to quote better yourself you're learning a new skill a new language uh you're you're you're, you're deep diving into something you're interested in and like part of that's just who i am and part, part of that's who you are right like because I, I know that we're like we're very similar in that way um but it was a friend of mine who one time was like you know what i'm doing dude nothing like it is a beautiful thing to just not have a schedule and not have the stress that I give myself of having to complete something and just being able to like chill. And that's something that like, I know I have a problem with. Like I am, I am, a, I am bad at just chilling. <laughs> like I just, I always have to be doing something. So, um, so, so it's so funny you say that because episode three, we had Emily Engel, who's a, who's a writer in New uh-huh. York city. And, and she talks about the same thing. And she's like, cause I asked her and she's like, honestly, uh, I'm really enjoying like, cooking with my boyfriend every night and not like and relaxing and and she's like I'm using this time for myself and to not just fill the time but like it's okay if I just sit on the couch for an hour and a half and it's okay if I just want to do what I want to do and that doesn't have to be a physical activity or a learning or anything like that everybody's different 
right? It's like whatever, whatever right. people want to get out of this time is the right thing for them. It doesn't, it doesn't, I think when it started, uh, you, you and I are definitely like on the same page. It's like, don't waste this time, create, make, learn, mm -hmm. whatever, because you're never going to get this, hopefully ever this opportunity again to do it. But that's the really the wrong mentality. It's like, whatever, whatever works for you, whatever truly makes you happy and, and, and keeps you afloat. It's, it's, it's like this, this idea that like, and again, part of it, I think is like, you know, we're not too far too distant in age. Like we were raised on the ideal that like, there's no time to waste. You know, like you, you, you have to, you have to be a millionaire by the time you're 40 or like life's over. And it's just like, okay. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> no, no, no. Unless, unless I hit this mega million, bro, then it is over. It is over. I'm telling you. You, you ain't gonna win if you don't play. <laughs> And that's true. I should start playing, but I'm gonna start playing. And <laughs> I can't be out here wasting two dollars, bro. That's crazy. It's oh, yeah, it's a, you're exactly. Right. Uh, I'm like, yo, why would I spend fifteen dollars on a Caesar salad when I could get six dollar Taco Bell? Which is delicious. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. But. But uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it's you, you like we're, we're, we're like bred for like the, this world of like new opportunities. And, and when you come from a very particular background, you know, it seems like you're, you're driven more than a lot to like always keep pushing. And so it's, it's hard to understand what it means to relax, like just to like post up and watch two hours of Michael Jordan documentaries. You know, it's not, it's not or easy to FIFA. do. You mentioned that to me on the last. Oh, bro. I love, I love FIFA so much. Man. Like I, I, I got I got smoked in FIFA the other day. <laughs> to be, not to go off topic, one of my uh, my guy Will, who's the, the the a center midfielder for the Revolution for our our MLS team, was like, "Yo, let's jump on FIFA." And I was like, "Bet you play real soccer, you're probably trash at video game soccer because you play the real game." Stupid logic. That man beat me so bad. I stopped playing FIFA for a little bit. <laughs> I was like, I can't even touch my controller anymore. Dude, he probably understood schemes beyond your realm of imagination. Oh, he was doing moves I didn't know you could do in FIFA. I was like, how did you unlock it? <laughs> You're cheating, bro. No, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny that you say that. I actually uh, was recently talking to my therapist about this, and I was like, yo, I've actually, you know, because I just, I just last week was a week eight that I just finished of, of work from home. And she's like, well, how, he asked me the normal, how are you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, honestly, like the past week, I think time's gone and like that anxiety settled down. And like, I've come to the realization that it doesn't matter how rich you are, uh, how famous you are, what job you have, where you live, everybody's on the same playing field. There is no, there's no FOMO. There's, there's nothing to worry about except for yourself and your health and your family's health and the people that you care about. That's all that matters right now. Nothing else is happening. So there's nothing to care about except for all the things in front of you. And I was like, I downloaded Call of Duty Warzone, which I didn't know was free. A friend of mine texted me. Now that's all I do at night. And it's, it brought back a little bit of childhood memories and it made me happy. And like, I would, I never have time for video games. That, that, that part of my life is long dead and gone. 
And now I have that time. I've been reading. I am not a reader. I figured out if I read books that I like versus books that are forced to me in school, I actually enjoy them. Which is a funny concept. Mm -hmm. Look at that. And so <laughs> it's, it's actually like a settling time of like, yeah, I'm still working on a number of projects and doing a bunch of work. And I always have my schedules and I, I hate myself when I don't accomplish something, which is the wrong mentality in general. But like, I've definitely taken a step back of like, yeah, you're right. You should have an hour or two where you sit on the couch and do nothing. Yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, like, granted, the irony of me saying that as I'm still sitting at work, prepared to do more work. But like, it's true. You know, like, you, you got to take those moments for yourself and whatever that is, whatever that, that self care is for you, you know? Yeah, man. So it's an interesting time for sure um do you um do you have a, a website or anything like do you do you like because <clears throat> i bring you on and obviously this is the 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 holistic concept is to have conversations with uh quote unquote un, unknown creatives right and you're just creative in in a very very yeah. different way from every other person that i will probably ever bring on this um like do you have a, a website or anything like where you where you talk about the th different relationships and the things that you've done or is it purely Instagram where you do, you know, post a lot and, and, but then, then you deleted everything at the beginning of the year, which kind of, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, this man's on a minute. He posts like 18 times a day. And then all of a sudden it's <laughs> you, you know, uh, so, so I don't have like a, like a personal thing. Everything personally is just on Instagram at Viva Elche. Um, but but Food and Convo uh, really is where you find like a lot of the just conversations that I'm going to be having with people and, and like you'll get a lot more about like my creative process and people that I'm, I think are just amazing folks um, over time on, on that. Um, but for the Instagram thing, I just want to tell you my, my logic behind it. Okay, I'm ready. It started like back in 2015. So five years um, ago? 2015. Yeah. If, if you go, if you go back, there's only like 80 photos now. The very first I can't photo go back. Is, can't do it. Doesn't exist. Your life, your life before 2020 doesn't exist, by the way. Yeah. The first, the first photo is a, is a pick stitch from 2015. Right. And uh, I think that was like when pick stitch became like a thing. Everyone was doing their top nine. Yep. And, and as I looked at it, I thought about my top nine most liked Instagram photos. And I thought that was not representative of my nine favorite or best or most important moments. And so instead of that, I went back through my entire Instagram and picked nine moments that I thought best defined 2015. And it's kind of like a ceremonious thing. I got rid of every other photo. And it was like, if you want to know my 2015 was like, this is what it was like in nine pictures. And then I did it again in 2016. And it just became a thing where the last day of the year, I, I like go back and I like, because you post so much throughout the year, you forget all the things you did. You know, even now during, during quarantine, I like flood social media on Thursday and like pick a theme and post like nine or 10 photos for Throwback Thursday. And it's been crazy to go back and go, oh, I forgot about this thing or this mural or this person I haven't hung out with in years. Um, and it's, it's been a beautiful trip down memory lane because again, we're fetched so much information. It's hard to remember those moments and those feelings you get from being around people. And why, so, don't, why don't you like take those photos and those memories and like, 
create stories on a blog about them or, or like a place where you can, you can go back in time and like, there's actual thought. And cause, cause I, re- I know all the time, I like think of a memory and I like think I remember everything about it, but then like, I definitely don't. And then you think about it again another time and yeah. then you think about a different conversation you had or, or experience that, you know, or food you ate or whatever it was. And um, like, why don't you, why don't you showcase like everything that you do? It's funny, like, probably like like half a year ago at this point, you and I were sitting down at a soul food spot and you were talking about blogging. Yeah, we're sitting at Addie's, yeah. Dude, what were the, 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 those, I'm not a big green vegetable guy, but whatever you fed me, those (laughs) those were, those were like the best vegetable I've ever eaten in my life. Uh, Collard greens, bro. He just, he knows. Oh, collard greens. Yeah, how can I forget? <laughs> now, honestly, I've so, never had a vegetable that was so good. <laughs> Hands down. I'm telling you, that. I gotta, I gotta. One of the if if any of summer were allowed to move around, you're gonna. I'm gonna bring you down to an uptown Harlem black cookout, and I'm, I'm gonna show you some shit. You're gonna bring me to a Harlem. I'm gonna bring you to a Harlem uptown Morningside cookout. Yes, sir. I mean, you go and get you a plate, and we're gonna see what's up. Okay, I'm I'm right. I'm stoked. Um, <laughs> then I'll, I'll go anywhere with you. If you want to take me to, to Hawaii, you yeah. want to do whatever. You want to take me to Harlem? I'll go to Harlem. Whatever. I trust you. <laughs> but but we go eat. We but eat. but anyway, we were sitting at Addie's. Oh, and- so we were sitting down at Addie's, and you said, "You know what, bro? Like, I think I'm gonna like get more into blogging." And I said, "What do you mean?" And you said, "You know, I've been doing it a couple weeks now." And just like trying to daily put down something, something that I can look back on that's a memory, something that captures my feeling in this moment. And, and you said just that, like, you know, you're like, dude, you've experienced so many things that not everyone gets to experience. You should like put it out and talk about those experiences. And, 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 and it's funny because like on one hand, I agree. I'm like, you know what? Like it would be cool to talk about the Art Basel where we Uber yachted. Like that was crazy. People don't even know Uber had a yacht. Like that's insane, right? Or like, like I remember you told me about that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's like, like, oh yeah, the Uber yacht was crazy. Or like, oh, let's talk about Hype Fest, which was a crazy one-time event. And MCM yeah. had this wild boat, and there was, you know, everyone's walk, Sarah Andelman's walking around, and you could see Futura, and and like, cool. Not a lot of people got to experience that. Um, or like this music festival and blah blah. And like, there are times I think about like, yeah, it'd be cool to go back and catalog that. And honestly, like, I think so far I haven't done it because I'm, I'm kind of being selfish, to be honest. Like, part of it is, like, I had these moments with some friends of mine, because most of my memories aren't alone, right? right? Like, most of my memories are with, or with friends or friends of friends or random people that we just had a crazy night out. And, like, for me, there's something really special about reconnecting with those people and going, remember that? Remember that time we waited in line for seven hours in January to get inside of a Yayoi Kasama infinity room? in new york and didn't realize that you only got 90 seconds in that room and then we bounced around to a bunch of different galleries and saw our first giant cause piece and saw uh, a yoko ono uh, tree in this one guy and like I'm, I'm speaking specifically about this one day i had with my friend katia right like the reason i have this dot tattoo on my arm is an homage to that day when we saw our first kasama piece because that's one of my best friends right now in the world. Like, I know that if I call for anything, she's got me and vice versa. And our friendship got strengthened on a January day, waiting outside in 20 degree weather to go into a room for 90 seconds. 
That's crazy. And so, like, you know what I mean? Like, I've posted the pictures of that, and most people just go, oh, Kasama, and, like, like it and, and Never do it justice. But they don't understand yeah. all the crazy stuff, you know? And, like, like, for me, like, that's something special, right? Like, like my, my birthday last year, I posted a picture of me with this T-shirt that said Virginity Rocks, and I'm drinking a Smirnoff Ice. And that's cool. Great that, photo. You know, right, right. Being ice is funny. Virginity Rocks is a funny shirt. You're welcome. But like, thank you. Um, but, but the story of how that happened and yeah. that, 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 that group of people that came together who didn't know each other but meshed and kind of like dug, that, Literally that didn't, we, a special moment. That's so strange that you say it that way because like I've never looked at it that, but we literally didn't, nobody, I knew Amy, that was it. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's, and again, it goes back to my, my point earlier of connecting people. Yeah. My, the, the group of people, of friends that I refer to as squad, which is like three of my closest friends in the world. Like everyone around me knows who I mean when I say squad. Squad were two people that I didn't even know were super close that I met one time together when I was drunk and then really got to know separately. And a third person who's one of my boys who happened to be at an event that I couldn't go to and hook them both up with. And then they took off and started hanging out all the time together. And then that became the crew. Right, none of these people knew each other five years ago, six years ago, but it just became this group that meshed. And like for me, that's a beautiful thing, just to see like what happens. And so I'm constantly just like, yo, so and 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 so, let's meet up here, and I hope that it works out. And if you know, part of me being a person that connects people is like I get personalities, so like I'm not trying to have people that are gonna beef. Right. But if I think there could be genuine like love and connections and building whether that's personally or professionally or emotional relationship, I don't know. Like, let's, let's get together and catch a vibe and like, see what happens. You know, that's, that's the beauty of having a bunch of friends, you know? We're just knowing a bunch of people. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, That's awesome. Well, uh, I know that you're, you are still at work in city hall and got to get back to it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I won't take up too much of your night, um, but thank you for joining us on episode seven. Oh, last, I meant to ask you, why, why the number seven? So when I, when I approached you, you're one of the, one of the first people that I asked to do this and you're like, nah, I'm going to wait till episode yeah. seven. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know you were calling the shots, <laughs> but all right, cool. Yeah, sure. No problem. Let's wait. <laughs> um, so, so my birthday is July 13th, right? Seven thirteen. Um, and for many people, seven represents a lucky number, while 13 represents an unlucky number. And I've always, my entire life, enjoyed that duality. I think that is a beautiful thing. Um, and I, I used to have, like, tattoo ideas for it. I, I tried really hard to get the dunk as be luckies and unlucky, so I could wear one foot on each one, one shoe on each, and, like, just rock it for my birthday. Um, and it hit me that, for me, what I most liked about it was, like, balance. Right, like it becomes a matter of making your own luck. There's no lucky or unlucky. And so seven, you know, when I started playing sports, became the number I always tried to get. Um, to the point that to this day, when I play in rec leagues, if someone picks seven before me, I have to play them one on one for it. Like, nah, I need that number. Is <laughs> <laughs> it like you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I, I need that. I need that number. Um, and and just over time, I just became became a thing you know so it was always seven for me um yeah i knew there was a story behind it i didn't ask i just let it happen 
Um, and here we are, uh, episode seven of An Untold Narrative. Thanks, uh, at Viva El Che. It's L, not La Che, right? Yes, because uh, that would be Long Live Milk, and that's not it. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to the future, Dr. Che, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, check out Worcester, check out Powwow Worcester, check out all the other future events that uh, we're going to be running. Hopefully we get back at it in the summertime. I mean, that's when the gold happens. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. all right. It's going to be good. Don't work too late. I'm going to try not to. I'm about brother. to call you right now. All right, <laughs> all right bro. Peace. <laughs> Peace.